Well, thank you, Sue, for leading our prayers and our reading. And let me again say good morning to everyone. It's great to be standing back in the pulpit after a little while's rest and relaxation with my family. Let me, as always, encourage you to keep your Bibles open there in Philippians chapter 1, where we'll be spending the bulk of our time this morning. And this morning we're going to, as Sue and Cohen have mentioned, continue our exploration of this great letter of joy. Philippians really is a book, an epistle, that drips with Paul's joy. And we've seen that even last week. If you missed it, Andrew began our series by considering the joy that Paul found in the people, the church of Philippi. Despite his separation from them, Despite his isolation, Paul could think and pray for them with great joy in his heart. And we saw that that joy that Paul expressed was linked intrinsically to the Philippians and Paul's shared partnership in the work of Christ. As well as that, it was the mutual love that they shared as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And we were reminded of the important difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is a fleeting feeling that we experience in our life. It's based on our circumstance, something pleasant that has happened. It might be based on our personality, because there are some of us who have a disposition towards happiness. It could be something as insignificant as the result of a grand final that has us brimming with happiness. But it can be fleeting. It can be snatched away just as quickly as it comes. Joy, however, is unwavering. A deep-seated feeling in one's soul. Joy, Christian joy, is a fruit of the Spirit, something that is brought into our life by God himself, based on the person and work of Christ and not some fleeting moment. I quite like John Piper's definition of Christian joy. He writes, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul, produced by the Holy Spirit, as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Let me read that for you again. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul, produced by the Holy Spirit, as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. This is why, despite his distance from Philippi, despite his separation and his isolation, Paul found joy. Joy in knowing that Christ was at work in his church. That Christ is continuing the good work that he had begun. Paul has eyes to see Christ at work in the world even as his word is at work. And as we shall see today, as we continue in Philippians 1, Paul's joy swells even more than this. 
as God grants him eyes to see Christ's beauty, even amidst his genuine suffering. But before we come to Paul's circumstance, before we consider his suffering, I want you to take a moment now in your homes to think of your own suffering. Really pause here. Take a moment to let God illuminate in you a moment, a season, a circumstance of suffering in your own life. Now, it doesn't have to be exactly like Paul's. Perhaps think of a time where things simply weren't how you wanted or expected them to be. A significant disappointment in life. A missed or foregone job opportunity. A failed test or school circumstance. Lockdown messing up travel plans. Maybe the suffering in your mind takes the form of pain. An injury or an accident. Sickness or a terminal diagnosis. Maybe it's grief. A sick child. An ailing loved one. A dying parent. Infertility. We all have moments and seasons of suffering. Perhaps for you now, this is an historic recollection, something that has happened previously in your life. Or maybe it's a very present, real grief now. Something happening in your life that maybe only you know about. What is God bringing to your heart and mind as you consider your own suffering? Because the reality is we all face suffering in this life. And I know there's nuance here. Some suffer more nobly than others. Some have more than their fair share of suffering and others simply cannot comprehend it. Some of us endure suffering better than others, and so on and so forth. But as we consider Paul's suffering here in Philippians 1, and as we dwell on his response for the remainder of this sermon this morning, I want you to keep in mind whatever it is that God has brought to the light in your life. And what we're going to do is apply the same thinking, the same methodology that Paul highlights for us here in Philippians to our own circumstance, our own situations. And I trust that all of us are going to be able to do this because life is never free from suffering. And let me encourage you, if you are suffering as Paul did for sharing the gospel, perhaps in a workplace or a school environment, then this may be even more tangible for you. But all of us know suffering. And certainly Paul knew more than most of us. Remember, as he writes this letter to his beloved church in Philippi, Paul is imprisoned 
and under Roman guard. He's probably under some sort of house arrest, chained to a guard or to a bed every hour of the day as he awaits his opportunity as a Roman citizen to come before Caesar and plead his case, to plead his innocence and beg to be released. Paul is suffering acutely. His crime was preaching that Christ is king. He proclaimed the gospel far and wide within the Roman population. He declared that Jesus is the ruler of the heavens and the earth. And this message came in defiance of Rome, who proclaimed that Caesar was king. Friends, in such a circumstance, it would be far too easy for Paul to be miserable and downhearted. To see that what he set out to do as good and honest and God-honoring has turned out for the worst. It would be understandable if Paul's letter was full of anger and bitterness. That perhaps is our response to unexpected suffering. Indeed, a little later, next chapter, Paul will mention his own anxiety and sorrow focused around Epaphroditus and his illness, Paul's concern for his friend. So Paul is not devoid of these perhaps negative emotions. But in spite of them and through them, he still finds joy. I imagine, like any of us, Paul would have had his moments. I doubt he would have found his circumstance to be prompting happiness. But his joy is evident. And it comes first and foremost because he has the right perspective. There in verse 12, let's consider Paul's right perspective. He writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now there in verse 12, you can see both the negative and the positive. I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It implies that his circumstances are negative, but they have borne good fruit. And Paul can see it. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit when he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. And here in amidst his chains, here in amidst his suffering, God gives Paul eyes to see Christ at work in the world and through his Word. Paul finds his joy because he looks beyond the immediate. Yes, he's in prison. Yes, it's tough. Yes, he's longing for his friends and he's 
anxious about what might be happening in his absence. Yes, he knows that he has a trial coming ahead. But he can see Christ at work in this circumstance. And that brings him joy. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul sees the work of Christ in the world around him. He keeps an eye on the things of eternal significance. When Paul wrote to the Colossian church, he urged them to do the very same thing. In Colossians 3 verses 1 through 3, Paul reminds them of who they are and what their focus should be in life. He wrote, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Just as Paul urges other believers to look to Christ and not to the world around them, so in his circumstance he does exactly that. He practices what he preaches. He looks to what God is doing despite his pain and suffering. Now exactly what has happened, he doesn't make abundantly clear. He declares back in Philippians 1, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He doesn't go into great detail about how all of these people have heard the gospel. And when he says the whole palace guard, he is speaking of somewhere between five and 10,000 men. Soldiers charged as the personal servants and personal guard of the emperors. That number would fluctuate depending on the emperor. So whether it's Paul relentlessly sharing the gospel himself to everyone who finds themselves chained to him for an eight-hour shift, whether it's the word of mouth going out from the other brothers and sisters that Paul describes, whether it's converted Roman soldiers sharing the gospel with their own friends and family, Paul sees that the gospel is doing its magnificent work and that brings him true joy despite his chains and even because of his chains. So much is the gospel permeating the palace. So much is the gospel message weaving its way through the people charged with Paul's imprisonment. That at the end of this letter, Paul signs off like this. This comes from Philippians 4.21. He writes to the church, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send their greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. God's gospel Work is happening in some way because Paul is suffering. And God has given Paul eyes to see that as the gospel spreads through the guards, into the palace of Caesar and into Caesar's own household. What joy that brings to Paul. 
Now, brothers and sisters, I know and you know that not all of our sufferings and not all of our hardships are going to contribute directly to thousands coming to faith. I'm sure if they did, we'd be able to endure them all the more gladly. But what Paul's writing here is not an expectation that our suffering should mimic the outcomes of his. Though certainly pray that God may do that through our lives. But what about in your suffering? Are you able to see the eternal picture? Are you able to look beyond the present circumstance, the trials, the grief, the struggle, the pain, and catch a glimpse of what God is doing? Despite the immediate, are you able to see the heavenly, the eternal? What is God doing in your circumstance? I can't tell you, I don't know what your circumstance is, what God has brought to mind in your life. Where are the gospel opportunities? How is God increasing your dependence on him? How has God allowed more time in your life to ponder the heavenly? To spend time in the word and in prayer and meditation. Collectively, the suffering that most of us have experienced of late is the lockdowns and COVID restrictions that have thrown life out of sync. How might God be preparing the unconverted, to receive his word at this time? How are your friends and family traveling? Those who don't know Christ. The stability of life has been rocked. The security that we've known has been shaken. People are realizing that the things they've trusted to simply function don't necessarily function as well as they once thought. What they've trusted hasn't always come through. Perhaps it is that God is forcing people to look for hope beyond the world. Well, brother, sister, you know that hope. You have that hope in Christ. Perhaps it is that God is preparing us to share that hope in a world so desperate for it. How is God at work in our suffering, in your suffering? Pray that we might see Christ's beauty amidst that grief and pain and struggle. And then, like Paul and those around him, let's share the hope of the gospel. Paul continues in his letter, verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Friends, this is what the hope found in the gospel can inspire. In the midst of suffering, those who cling to the truths of Christ, those who continue to 
trust God's goodness, those who continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus and the salvation that he affords to sinners. They spark in others an inspiration. Like a fire leaping from tree to tree, when we see someone truly cling to God in hardship, it really is inspirational. Perhaps you've witnessed this in your own life. You've seen a loved one enduring illness. Certainly they're not happy all the time. But they are firmly anchored to Christ. You've seen someone experience loss, but declare their trust in God despite the trials of their worldly circumstance. When you hear of brothers and sisters around the globe who are persecuted for their faith, yet continue on in evangelism and mission, it stirs something in your own spirit. When your own suffering makes a way for you to share the hope of Christ, it can change lives and it can witness to a needy world in a way that a happy, healthy life simply can't. So too did Paul's suffering. The unwavering hope that he had in Christ and in his gospel message inspired those around him. Others proclaimed the truth without fear. Even though they saw what had happened to Paul, they were inspired to press on, boldly speaking the news of Jesus as the apostles did before them. Despite that being the very reason for Paul's imprisonment, it is also a motivation to others. It inspires those around him, but it also inspires those far away. I trust that in part Paul wrote this letter to inspire the church at Philippi. They could so easily have thought that God had failed Paul. They could so easily have thought that it was unfair and unjust that this godly man was imprisoned for his faith. They could have thought that things had gone terribly, terribly wrong. But Paul says, no, God is at work in this. If you have eyes to see it, the whole palace guard has heard the good news. This would have been doubly good news for the church at Philippi. You see, Philippi was a Roman city, a Roman colony, filled with retired military personnel, Roman citizens themselves. And no doubt they would have had a particular joy hearing that the gospel was reaching their fellow military servants. Brothers and sisters, thinking back to your own circumstance, How could your suffering and how you conduct yourself through it be an encouragement to others? It can be a powerful, powerful witness to those who don't know Christ and a great inspiration to those of us who do. How might your conduct, your words, your focus serve to encourage others? Now, please don't hear me pressuring you to do this. Depending on your circumstance, you may find yourself thoroughly incapable 
of action along these lines. Your suffering may be so grand that action is hard. And I don't want to add burden to that. But rather ask that God would reveal an opportunity. Whether a small one or a grand one like Paul describes in this letter. How can the way you endure suffering for Christ inspire others? And as you see that inspiration, I trust that like Paul, you will find more joy in suffering, clinging to the hope of Christ and seeing others encouraged. When we cling to that hope, when we see what God is doing in our circumstance, when we fix our eyes on Jesus and his kingdom, then we can truly have joy despite hardship. Paul continues in this section, verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does this matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Now friends, in all honesty, this is one of the most miserable things you can imagine happening to Paul. Imprisoned, finding joy in the fact that the gospel is spreading, word has reached his ears that some are preaching with the motivation of causing grief to Paul. It's quite a convoluted circumstance. Perhaps it is that they are trying to draw more attention from the higher-ups in the hope that hostility will increase. Presumably they are jealous of Paul's ministry. We could spend quite a bit of time trying to understand exactly what Paul is describing here. But he doesn't want us to. He says, who cares? If the gospel's going out, what does it matter? Don't get waylaid in trying to understand. See what God is doing and find the joy. The gospel continues to go out. And I continue to rejoice, says Paul. Now I appreciate that what Paul is describing here is a fairly unique circumstance and it won't resonate with us perfectly. Very few of us could say that others are preaching Christ in a bid to hurt us. So we won't dwell on that. Instead I'll ask this question. How easy would it be for Paul to become pessimistic here? Oh great. Now evangelism is making things worse. I'm already in chains because of preaching Christ. It would be so very easy for him to see and dwell on the negative, just as it is for us to dwell on the negative when suffering adds pain upon pain, grief upon grief. But instead, Paul chooses to see God at work. He has the eyes to find the beauty of Christ in his word and in his world. And that, friends, is our encouragement this morning. Should suffering be compounded, should grief continue to grow, 
we must ask that God would grant us eyes to see his goodness, to see his glory, despite and even through whatever our circumstances are. Friends, we know that God brings joy through suffering. We know that God brings good from evil. It's most clearly shown on the cross. And Christ himself pursued this joy, as we read in Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 12, from verse 1, the author of Hebrews reminds us, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When we have our mind and eye fixed firmly on the eternal, the immediate becomes more tolerable. That is how Christ endured the cross, by seeing God's plan unfolding. That is how Paul endured prison, by seeing what Christ was doing in and around him. And that's our encouragement today. Whatever it is that God has brought to mind when I asked you to dwell on suffering in your life, be it a frustration, a pain, a disappointment, a grief, whatever it is, let's today pray that God would give us eyes to see his work, that he would grant us one gospel opportunity out of our grief, that he would enable us to encourage one brother or sister as a result of our conduct. Let us pray that he would give us joy in hardship and show us the beauty of Christ in his word and in his world. Would you pray with me? that that might be the case. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we have considered this morning, there is pain, there is grief, there is suffering in your people. Some suffer for sharing the gospel. Some suffer the result of sin in this world. Some suffer perhaps without any explanation at all. Lord, in the midst of each of the circumstances that we have considered this morning, that you have illuminated in the lives of your people today, we ask, Lord, that you would enable us to find joy by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Enable us to be inspired by others and equally to inspire other brothers and sisters in the way we navigate these hardships. Lord, help us to see the gospel opportunities that are being afforded to us, the result of suffering, opportunities which otherwise we would miss. And as you show them to us, Lord, may you enable us to act on them for your kingdom's sake and for your glory. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.